Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Today we also have a terrific person, just one of the most terrific people you can ever, ever, ever imagine. Ever, ever imagine. Ever, ever imagine. Yes, exactly. I'm a little worried he's disappeared right now, so hopefully he'll reappear real soon. Um, so I met Zach, gosh, 20 years ago, <laughs> some years ago, um, when we first heard of this remarkable novel, Rolling the R's. And of course, we've followed his career ever since. Um, he, uh, he is a poet, a novelist, playwright. He is the author of four, po four poetry collections and the novels Leche and Rolling the R's, which was adapted for the stage. He was born in Manila and educated in Honolulu. And today he splits his time between the two cities. But right now, we are so happy to have him here in Los Angeles. Please welcome Arzamora Lindmark. Wow, thank you, Noel. It's, I think it was actually over 20 years ago, but we're not going to count. Oh, thank you so much. And I want to thank, um, there are also like co-organizers, um, Puro, Arte, Kita Kids, and Philam. Where's Irene? Irene? Oh, she's on her way. Okay, parking the car. <laughs> but um, so I wrote this book. I think the genesis for this book, I can trace as far back as 2010, when um, I was taking a break from Leche. I had just finished the last um, final final stages of editing, and uh, uh, and I decided to finally tackle and read the doorstopper of a biography by Richard Elman, biography of uh, Oscar Wilde, and around that time. I was in, in my flat in Manila. Um, there, were, there was a string of su teen suicides, all related to bullying. And uh, they were all um, from different ethnicities, and they were all openly and closeted gay. And, uh, but one of them who had hung himself had survived the hanging and um, was on life support machine for 10 days. So there I was reading about this, um, one of the most celebrated playwrights, Irish playwrights of the 20th century, and, um, and his downfall. Um, and that led to two years of um, imprisonment with uh, uh, hard labor. And then on the other hand, fast forward to 2010. So you've got 1895 and 2010, and same shit hasn't changed for the, for the most part. But, <clears throat> While while I was reading this and all the and the, the strings of uh, tragedies, uh, I couldn't. It, it gave me the same kind of hopelessness and helplessness that I had experienced growing up in Hawaii in the early '80s, when uh, people, mostly gay men, were dying of this mysterious virus that would later have a name called AIDS. And uh, but with one big difference, though, is that in 2010, I was already a writer and I could write about. The, um, the hopelessness and the despair 
and the rage that I was feeling. And so I was going to write about um, a book that would address bullying, for example, and it would be my first young adult novel. I usually don't write with adult, or I usually don't write with an audience in mind, but for this one, I really wanted to address and write the book for young adults so that I, I might not save lives, but at least it can either lessen the load, the lessen the pain, if not, well, derail the tragedy. Um, but anyway, so, and I was gonna have Oscar Wilde um, in it because I felt that these two historical forces were speaking to each other through me, and that's how I found the narrative structure, that these, the past of the, the life of uh, Oscar Wilde in 1895 to 1901, or 1900, and these tragedies were kind of like interweaving. And I decided to write, um, to set it in a fictitious island called Crystal, um, in the middle of the Pacific. Um, and uh, it's an island that's shared by two nations, one, very um, military driven, so very first world. Uh, <laughs> and then the South was uh, economically depressed, so very third world. But um, they have, um, but they're both like, uh, have a history of colonialism. Anyway, I'm gonna start this book. It's a really fast read, you know. Like, uh, it is, like see the first page only got one sentence, <laughs> right? Second page only have two words, like this. Anyway, here we go. <clears throat> there are two ways to begin this story. A haiku. Little miracles. Inside a minute, a blue-throated hummingbird's 1,000 heartbeats. Or a prayer. Dear Oscar Wilde, patron saint of rebels and bookworms, this is Kenzie. I'm 17 years old, a senior at South Crystal High. I live on an island in the middle of nowhere Pacific Ocean, so tiny you need a magnifying glass to spot us on the map. Oscar, I met someone. There, it's out. Woof, yes, I met someone earlier this week. And this morning, I woke up to my heart beating a thousand hummingbird heartbeats. It felt new and strange, and anything new and strange to me is worth exploring, like Antarctica. I don't know where my heart is zooming to, so if you could, please guide me through this unfamiliar map. Your forever devotee, Kenzie. P.S. His name is Ran. <clears throat> Ran is from the north, which means he can come to the south whenever he pleases and not get harassed by the border patrol. It's not the same for us in the south. We can't just jump into a car and zip right through the tunnel. That's too quick and simple, too convenient. If I want to visit Ran, I'll have to apply for a tourist visa at the North Crystal Embassy, where I'll be asked questions like, how much money is in my savings? What are my reasons for going there? Where am I staying and for how long? Who do I know there and where do they live? My best friend Estelle said it once took her and her family over three hours to get their visas. They were drilled with the same questions as if they were criminals whose only crime was going on a family vacation. 
and they weren't even going to North Crystal. They were headed to Hawaii. But because we don't have an airport, they had to fly out of North Crystals, and it isn't, it isn't cheap. The airport tax Estelle and her family paid cost almost half the price of their tickets. That's what happens when your own small island nation has to depend on its rich neighbor to get you off the island. We had an airport once upon a time. It shut down a few years ago. The government simply couldn't afford to continue operating it. One by one, airline companies stopped flying to South Crystal because the government kept increasing the rent, which went straight into the pockets of the officials. After the airport shut down, the shipping port followed. Since then, everything we order from the outside world, groceries, electronics, vehicles, medicine, appliances, books, toilet paper, must first go, th go through North Crystal's customs. The North has access to the South, which is dependent on the North for everything. That's the main difference between a superpower island nation and an underdeveloped one that keeps getting poorer and poorer as its government gets richer and more corrupt. And unless the God of role reversal intervenes, North Crystal shall remain our only gateway to the world and our only means of returning home. So Ran is from the North has access to the South, Kenzie's in the South. And um, so they have like a spring break romantic affair, blah, blah. And, uh, and one of the most challenging chapters while write, working on this book is this chapter, <clears throat> Ste uh, Seven Steps to Eternity. Friday, 8 March. Tonight is the night of firsts. It's the first time I slick back my hair and put on my brand new pair of ankle length pants to go with my checkered polo shirt. It's the first time I wear my shirt with a top button undone. It's the first time I smile in front of the mirror and a stranger who looks like the spitting image of me smiles back. And if I want to, I can go back to Mirage and Bunbury again, this time pretend with the confidence of a high-powered advertising executive. It's the first time another guy stands beside me in front of the mirror and looks straight at my reflection. It's the first time I feel the lightness of meaning. It's the first time a guy asks me if I've ever kissed someone. I want to run out of my room, out of this world. I don't. It's the first time fear has worked in my favor. How can I possibly answer Rand's question? The answer is easy. Two-letter word, yet the most difficult one to say and hear. Steering my eyes away from his gaze, my voice finally cracks a uh, no. After that, all I want to do is dive deep into one of the underwater volcanoes that surround our island. And it's right then that I finally realize his hand is folded over mine. He's done it again. He's taken my hand while my mind went wandering off, tightening his grasp as I'm about to pull away. Just a little longer, Kenzie, Rand says, please. Then he gives me one of those nervous smiles you give to the person you like and you hope will like you back. I only wish that it had been, you know, he pauses as his voice starts to break. That it mattered, that it began like this, he continues. What mattered? What happened? I want him to tell me so I can understand the sadness in his eyes and why suddenly he became very quiet, his grasp loosening as if he's retreating into his own world. For a moment, 
I think is going to let go. He doesn't. Instead, he unfolds my right hand and, like a web, spreads it over his face until all I feel are his lips, like gills, pulsing against the cup of my palm. With his hand over mine, he guides them over his brows, his closed eyelids, his cheeks, his mouth breathing into my palm, his warm breath moistening my lifelines. Kenzie, he says, taking my hand from his face and holding it between his hands. Be random with me. Be random? What does that mean? Be with him? Be spontaneous like a Kenzie list unraveling? Like being assaulted by 10,000 thought bubbles at once? My heart begin, begins beating rapidly like a panther that upon waking from a deep sleep finds itself trapped inside a cage and starts to grow wild with fury. Thank God Oscar Wilde shows up, all dressed up in his dandy outfit and green overcoat, the one with fur trimmings. Oscar, oh my God, where have you been? At Père Lachaise, dear heart, attending to my daily pilgrims. What, what's the matter? My heart. Ah, uh, temptation. What should I do? The only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it, dear boy. Resist it, and your soul will grow sick with longing. But, but I'm scared. Fear, Kenzie, is the godchild of beauty and danger. It is youth being summoned to the witness stand of experience. Youth, that brief but magnificent and utterly deceiving season in our lives. It doesn't last very long, so waste it wisely. I'm afraid, Oscar. What if... My dear, nothing has to happen if you don't want it to. But you are in the midst of your own glorious unfolding. I say, surrender, enjoy the pulse of a blossom. How I envy you, Kenzie. Envy? To be right in the eye of desire. It's all terrifying and confusing. It's all uncertainty and wonderment and hummingbird hearts. My heart is ready to jump out of my chest. You must let it, Kenzie. Be open to his affections. Such devotion and attention he bestows on you. Put Zeus and Ganymede, his cupbearer, to shame. But let's save our words for later. It's now time for you to feast with the Panthers. Be random for me, Kenzie, Rand says. For you, for us, he says. Us? Yes, us. My world is suddenly reduced to a fantastic blur. Like a cat, he nuzzles my cheek, my neck. He laughs, I laugh, the end, wrong. Because without a warning, he plants a wet smack on my lips and then another. I want to pull away, but I'm in too much shock, totally unprepared and embarrassed. My lips are chapped. I want the night to run away, for us to start all over. I can feel my insides turning, my legs weak and rubbery, my hands trembling, my face flush from embarrassment. Kenzie, it's okay, he says and holds my face. He looks into my eyes and smiles, the kind of smile that comforts you before you're about to cry. Hey, Kenzie, he wraps his arms around me. I I don't know what to do with my hands, where they're supposed to go. We stay there in a one-sided embrace for I don't know how long until I realize we're swaying with my hands resting lightly on his back. Then, releasing me from his arms, he tells me to close my eyes. I shut them tight, lost as ever, this time a little less terrified. <laughs> 
With spotted kisses, he anoints my forehead, my closed lids, my cheeks, and finally my mouth. His rapid breathing letting me know that the fear and thrill are mutual. A kiss is a magical thing. This is the first lesson I learned about kissing. It turns fear into fantastic, danger into beauty, uncertainty into comfort. With his tongue, he tempts my mouth to open a little and play. Suddenly, our tongues collide, or rather, his tongue sweeps over mine. I freeze. It feels weird. He does it again and again, like he's telling me something urgent, a secret code he wants me to learn fast. I don't know what he wants. I try to pull away, but he tightens his hold around me, his face pressed against mine. As I slide my tongue out of his mouth, he scoops it back with his mouth, as if he's going to swallow it. The second lesson in French, lung, means tongue, language. Tonight, language is a hunger playing with fire. A strange feeling kissing is, but I'm glad for the blur, glad that it's happening with Ran, who steadies me firmly with his embrace until he feels my arms wrapped tight around him. Like a student, eager to learn more, I replay the night's first lesson for him. Back and forth, our tongues send each other messages, speaking to each other in our own codes for give and need, hunger and fire. The third lesson, Kiss like you're telling a story with another person in a language that's completely yours, with the two of you making it up as you go along. Ran changes the tempo. I quickly follow. Seconds later, it's his turn to surrender to my lead. Time ticks to our tongues, taking turns, flicking, rushing, exploring to feed the craving. Round and round, our tongues go coaxing and chasing each other, his hands cradling my face, my fingers caressing his back. The fourth lesson, kissing is like jazz. It too has its glorious rough spots. Curious to see what he looks like kissing me, I open my eyes and I'm surprised to see a pained expression on his face. He looks like a lost child. He stops because I must have stopped. Too puzzled and sad to continue. He smiles to ask me what's wrong. I smile back to say, I'm not sure. Then he releases me from his grasp. I thought the lessons for the night have come to an end when suddenly he takes my face in his hands and blows a blast of air into my mouth. I taste it warm, sweet, craveable. The fifth lesson, kissing is a mirror, watching and being watched. Before I know it, we're tasting each other's lips again, swallowing each other's breaths again, getting lost, then found, then lost in each other's sigh again, our tongues going in circles, chasing and teasing and changing the speed of our want again, all for a beauty that once caused so much fear and unease and nervousness. And in the end, it turns out to be a magnificent blossoming, this dangerously delicious jazz called kissing. The sixth lesson, kissing is like playing a crazy game of conquest and surrender. Tonight, we kiss for what seems like forever until the heart, like the panther it is, returns to its cage. The seventh and final lesson, kiss, as if it's the end of eternity. Oh, um, and of course, Oscar Wilde, Karen Thompson. <laughs> Thank you, Karen, that's great. Uh, <clears throat> oh, I lost my page. Okay. 
So this, uh, Kenzie writes um, haikus and lists, and he also has a journal, and he, which um, he records, especially this week when um, this week of uh, spring spring break, where his heart is opening up and waking up for the first time. So this is what he writes: Saturday, Saturday evening, nine March. I Kenzie. I'm now a big question mark. Did I just kiss a boy? Yes, and it felt like a hundred million volts of electricity surging through my body. I didn't know a kiss could be this powerful, that it could send my heart skyrocketing to the moon. Prior to Ran, I thought the power of a kiss only existed in fairy tales about frogs and poisoned princesses. So does this mean I'm gay now? Am I the B in the LGBTQ? But which be bisexual, bicurious, bromancer? Should I kiss a girl just to be sure? Uh, maybe I'm the Q in queer, but most definitely not queen, since I can't picture myself donning a tinfoil tiara. Maybe I'm the D in the multiple choice of sexuality, as in D, all of the above. Or E, a new category. Yes, E, I, Kenzie, as my own category. Um, so, you know, this is, uh, this is a love, a book of love of sorts. So there's the obvious, the love, romantic love between Ran and Kenzie. I'm not going to tell you what happens there between the two. Um, something about ghosting. Um, <clears throat> but there's also love between friends and then a love between, um, uh, a mother and a son. <clears throat> so this is, uh, from an essay that Kenzie wrote when, he was in uh, fifth grade, our favorite pastime. My mother loves to read. She reads all the time. She reads during the day and she reads late at night. She reads when she comes home from work, even if she's tired. Sometimes she reads with the music on. Sometimes I hear her humming. Sometimes while she's reading, she'll stop and look out at nothing in particular, as if the book is taking her far, far away like she's dreaming in another world, someplace quiet and marvelous like Antarctica. I love to read too, especially in my room. With books, I try on different worlds. I meet people who live inside stories, stories I never want to end. That's when I know that I really like a book. I like endings the least. They make me sad, even when they end happily ever after. My mother is okay with endings, though. When she's done reading a book, she returns it right away to the library or donates it if it's hers. Then she goes and borrows or buys another book. I don't know how she does it, how she goes from one book to the next just like that. I don't know how anyone can do that. It's so easy for her, not me. I have a hard time, especially if I love the characters and the story and the place too much. I reread the book. My mother said I have to learn to start practicing goodbyes to books or I won't have room for new stories. She's right. Still, it's hard, even if all I'm doing is practicing goodbyes. Okay, I'm going to end with this um, list poem. The Silence List. There's the silence that drops from nowhere and the silence that stabs like a shiny switchblade. There's the silence that comes right at takeoff and the kind that echoes long after a crash landing. There's the silence that craves for attention and the kind that aches to be left alone. 
silence like the red velvet curtain of an old theater full of history, thick and musty. Silence confident as a period, breathless as a comma, endless as ellipses. There's a silence lovers leave behind like a suitcase on a platform after the last train. There's a silence lovers arrive with like a body crammed in a busload of strangers. There's a silence waiting to breathe and a silence crying to be broken. There's a silence rare and breathtaking as the time I caught her in her room, dancing with no music to guide her, just a song playing loudly in her head, leading her to another place, another her, away from here and away from her, the woman with a thousand and one silences, who left behind a life in another country so she did not have to answer to any man or walk five steps ahead of him or sleep with dreams bolted down. This woman who made me see silence in words and taught me how to shatter it whenever something was worth hearing. My list of silence, my endless list, my mother. Thanks. It 20 minutes. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. Where are you going? No, I'm here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have questions for our author. Oh. I do. I'm, I'm oh. Now. Uh -huh. Thanks. So I'm, I'm curious about where you got this idea of North Crystal and South Crystal. Right. And right. I was thinking, was it supposed to be like North Korea, South Korea, or a mixture with Singapore? <laughs> Those are really right. interesting. Right. Well, uh, I wanted to take a break also from writing about Hawaii and the Philippines, where two places where I come from. <laughs> but I didn't want to take. I, wanted, I didn't want to go too far, and but I also wanted to create this fictitious island uh, because I wanted the reader to be uh, fully, um, the reader to be fully involved or engrossed in, with the text, uh, just through imagination. Right, and so I wanted to move away from an actual place because, um, especially now, I, I didn't want the book to deal with uh, authentic to be questioned for its authenticity. I wanted the book to be questioned for its um, credibility, I think, and its uh, um, believability. So, um, and how if I can get away with just inventing this entire world that could mirror or reflect a place that's been damaged by colonialism, yeah. And um, so there, there are, you're, you're absolutely right. I think uh, there was a Singaporean critic who said this reminded him of Singapore and Malaysia. <laughs> and then the North is, um, but my, my model was, you know, um, Oahu for, that, for the island. But uh, then I just cut it in half. And then I gave them their own independent histories and narratives. So. Um, so I took whatever I, I could that work would work into this uh, Kenzie's world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. Like for example, like this, um, and also I wanted to de delve into speculative fiction. That was another reason. And so it's, this is my first young adult book, which kind of reminded me of when I was writing my first novel, Rolling the R's, where I just wanted to like just go for you know what we say in Hawaii, go for broke, just take the, um, take whatever 
risks that you, you did when you were working with rolling and not, not care. So I really wanted to push, and I also wanted to, um, I had to read a lot of YAs too while I was working this book, and I also wanted the reader, the young adult readers to, to start broadening their definition of what a novel is, yeah. Which is what it, one of the reasons why I wrote Rowling too, but for adult readers. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, because of its multiple genres, and but uh, difference is that it's really just one narrator here, as opposed to the multiple narrators in Rowling. Yeah. Wow, I want people to come here. Like, they're all there. Hi. Well, I think it, I go back to 2010 when I was reading Wild and when I was re, um, learning about and hearing about these teen suicides. And I wondered, you know, because the world of the novel is all based on, based on presupposition on the what if, or what if, right, and then, right? So like, what, what if these guys didn't have any guides, you know? Like, like when I was growing up, Ro, um, Wild actually was my guide like was my Virgil, part-time Virgil. And so, and, and sometimes we, we need that guy to guide us in an, uh, through the hell that we're experiencing, the pain. And I think that <clears throat> given Wilde's history, uh, given Wilde's um, uh, strength and even ability to love himself and forgive others for what they had done to him, I think that he would be that, that great icon, not just for LGBTQ community, but for anyone who has to, to, to process pain and, 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 and long enough so that it can derail the tragedy, you know? And um, so in this case, he is, he is my Virgil. He is Kenzie's Virgil, you know, guiding Dante into, uh, in and out of Inferno, right? So. So that's, that's one of the reasons why. And I think that also, and, and he inspires Kenzie. And I'm, I'm not interested in, I'm not interested in um, he's a white, a dead white man uh, being a role model for a brown 17 year old. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in how Kenzie's world and his interpretation and, and, and how, 
Oscar Wilde's world is fuels his imagination. I'm more interested in this, in that, rather than, you know, because I think that Kenzie is smart enough and also, oh, this is the other reason. There is, I also have, um, uh, I also invent an indigenous tribe, na the native Pulas, right? And so if I use native Hawaiian, and that's a really sensitive issue right now. And so I, I really wanted to go away from that, you know, and they, they have their own writers and, and, uh, and I think, and their stories and their will. They can, they're more than able to tell their stories, right? So I really wanted to move away from that, from the reality, from that physical reality. So yeah, so I, I wanted, um, so that I wanted these kids, like perhaps if they had a guide like Wild, you know? Um, so it is about being led, being led to the, being led out of the hell that they're experiencing, you know? Especially since Wild was also bullied. The difference? Yeah. Right. 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 Well, the, the world uh, is that, um, the world of rolling is that they, they don't have, it's not childhood, they don't have childhood, they're forced to grow up, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a world of, um, uh, they're, they're living under a violent, an atmosphere of violence and rejection. Right, uh, and they don't have this. Um, it's slightly different from this one because this one they do have a support group, and it's called the Oscar Wilde Book Club, right? And but the similarities is that they don't see themselves as victims, however damaged the place that they come from, their uh, their situation. They don't see themselves as victims, and they try to empower themselves regardless, right? Uh, I think that that's the that's the similarities between the kids enrolling and. You know, and they do have a part-time guide enrolling, and her name is Exotica, right? And I'm actually working on this, uh, finishing the sequel to Rolling right now. It's about Exotica. And so anyway, the, um, their transgender mother, right? So, um, so I, but with young adult, there are parameters, right? There are parameters. And my editor, I had a really great editor who gave me a four-page, basically, which I used that as a manual. Like, this is what I can do. And so how do I push the envelope then with these limitations? And um, you know, like there are certain issues that I, I could have discussed at great lengths here, um, but it would have taken away from, would have taken, the, um, it would have stolen the spotlight from Kenzie's narrative. For example, the whole trial of gross indecency or sodomy. And I was like, no. And you know, I was already, I was also dealing with a gargantuan figure called Oscar Wilde who can easily steal the spotlight, right? So I had to really be conscious as to, okay, when I want Oscar to enter the narrative. And because the moment he enters, he steals the spotlight, kind of like Edgar and Rowling. So I want them out so that the rest of the, um, so the, so the rest of Kenzie's story can be, can be told. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Were there some 
Mm -hmm. um, well, one of, actually it was through the process. So the, when we sold the novel to Random House, it, it began in midday arrest. So middle, the conflict. And then there's a, the second part is the flashback and the third part is flash forward. And, uh, and my editor said, could you restructure it so that it's chronological? So we start in the beginning and then really chronicle, right? Um, and I was like, then she explained why. And, and one of the reasons that she gave is um, the young adult reader has to be in love with the character by page 20. If you throw a character that's already in, confused and angry and the reader doesn't have um, grounding as to why that character is angry or confused, you're gonna lose that reader. And so I said, mm, okay, well, that's a, that's a good reason, but I don't know if I wanna restructure it. Then I realized, wait a minute, she has a point. Uh, and, 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 and so what I was trying to do is I was trying to really chronicle this young man's um, uh, journey into first love and then heartbreak and then recovery. So I figured if I chronicle, if I do it that way, like sequentially, th the pain at the end will be more magnified. So I said, okay, I'm gonna do it. So I had to, uh, that was one of the things that I, um, I uh, one of the st major structural changes that I did while writing this. I don't know if th that answered your question, but yeah. And those young adult bloggers are vicious. They're vicious. It's a huge genre, and I'm curious to know, you might actually probably have your largest audience read because it's young adult, and I'm curious to know, do you enjoy the genre? Do you think you'd write more of that genre? Well, I actually finished, I'm finishing a novel now, and I think it's a poetry contest, and it's set in Hawaii in the 80s. And I think it's a young adult, but I don't, with this one, I was specific, I was, I was determined and I was conscious, like it has to be a young adult. Now, however, or whatever my agent thinks this book that I'm finishing now, whether it's gonna be a young adult or not, I don't care. Because it, I, again, I didn't go in there with that, um, with that intent, right? So it's up to him. It's a marketing thing too. I mean, like who reads young adult? Librarians, teachers and adults, and then of course the young adults. So, um, but they, they, their initial readers are librarians and teachers, because they're the ones gonna buy the books and assign the books. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, again, it's one of those things that I always wanted to write, uh, that I wanted to explore. And, um, and I think inventing an island um, and the people that live on that island, the history of those two nations, I don't think I would be able to do that uh, I, with uh, writing about Hawaii and the Philippines. Not, 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 not right now anyway. So because I deal with a lot of like um, um, 
what to call it, materials, like research materials and documents. And so I completely wanted to take a break from that and just really build my own world, you know. Um, and so it's, it's just between, it's, it's just, so the text then is just a conversation between the reader and the text and the world that I created and the people that live in that world. It's not like calling up your friend, like, is Chris Aquino a real character? You know, no. I don't think you can, you know. And, and it also, I also had fun because I had to create my own apps. You know, because apps get replaced so quickly. So there's an app called Zap, which is a text message that in three hours, it zaps you. So if you have a, if you have a, um, a 17 year old who's, who thinks he's being ghosted, I mean, he's gonna be what? He's gonna, he's gonna be up all night waiting for that text because if he falls asleep for more than three hours and should that guy decide to reappear in his life, then you lose, he loses him, do you know what I mean? So another zap is called talking bubbles, which is for those from Hawaii, we, it's, a, it's a figure of speech when we say stop talking bubbles, which is like stop talking shit, you know, or nonsense. So I created those, that was part of the fun too. Like I wanted to have fun with the dark stuff that I was writing on. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I think those really yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I initially um, from the from the get go I decided that I was going to focus on the South, so Kansas world. Right, and so everything that they hear about the North is just hearsay. Until, until, and until Ran, until Kenzie meets Ran, and Ran tells him like how perfect, drip, perfection driven, this military place called North Crystal is. Right, but and also because I wanted Kenzie to be imprisoned by love, and so if he had easy access to get to Ran, that imprisonment would would dissolve. Right, would not exist. So I really want to throw him in hell. And so, and so I throw that hell, I create that hell by, have, by all these restrictions and limitations, right, of movement, right, yeah, yeah. No, it was fun, it was fun. I, I read like um, Calvino's Invisible Cities, for example, yeah, yeah. And um, I went back to Thomas More's Utopia. Yes. It was. Uh, I had to interview my nephews and nieces. And then one was a reader, an avid reader. So, and um, she lives in the Philippines um, near me. And so when I, so I tested her, like, oh, can you read this? You know, she said, oh, I love it. You know, can you write? I wanna know how they met. Like, really? You wanna know how they met? Do you need to? Because, yeah, I wanna know how they met. So I was like, writing it and so she was actually the writer and I was just she was just <laughs> dictating but but she was so good that when it got to the point where you know Rand disappears she said I don't want to read anymore and she said no you got to read because I got to finish the book <laughs> <laughs> so and so I, I, I interviewed like aside from reading YA books I had to interview a lot of well enough just maybe a dozen that's all I needed, yeah. 
And, uh, and I got ghosting from my nephew, Alex. Yeah. So I was like, Alex, what do you call somebody who's a dick and disappears? Goes, and then he had to like text his friend and say, oh, ghosting, Tito, ghosting. You know, I'm like, okay, ghosting. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Well, yeah, I think um, Ronaldo asked a similar question. I, I had to. I, I'm interested in the different, the the many versions of Englishes, and so there is the English of Oscar Wilde, Victorian. And in order for me to achieve or come close to his speech, I read a lot of his letters, and I took phrases and then turned them into. Uh, and, and played with the, with those phrases, and then there's the English of technology. So there's texting language and also Zap language uh, English, and then there's the English of um, the silence. The language is silence is the language, which is the language that Kenzie speaks with his mother. The mother is Japanese, and it's the mother who actually introduces him to the world of classical Japanese literature. That that explains why he writes haikus and he writes lists, which you know you can trace as far back as say Shonagon's *The Pillow Book*, right? And um, so, I also wanted to give a texture. Like the language then would inform the different types of texture in the novel, so it's not, you're not just reading about this guy who's falling in love and then out of love, and then, you know, you're also reading about his history and, and the different types of languages that he's exposed to in this island, including the English of his imagination. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No matter how old they get, they still have this youthful quality about yeah. them. And yeah. I think of you, you're the sophisticated writer. You know, <laughs> sophisticated. And, I was thinking, and actually, when I was going into it, I, like, I want to know if Zach can pull it off. And I thought it looked amazing. It was oh, really, thank really you. wonderful. And particularly the social media, you got just right. You know, I thought a lot of social, a lot of interviews with social media. So mm -hmm. um, I hope you all buy the book. We have copies of the, the novel up the register. But we'd love it if you bought the book first before you got them signed. Um, we also uh, thank you, Irene, for bringing some. Uh, oh yeah, this uh, refreshment. Uh, wow. yeah, Why? Delicious, yeah. delicious refreshment that we'll bring out. So um, please stay and enjoy the refreshment that we're offering as we travel along. Get our hearts. Um, we'll move some stuff out of the way, and um, we will go ahead and sign. Where do you want me to? You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.